0: My name is Heidi and I love stories. Funny stories and sad stories and what on earth just happened stories. As it turns out, the Bible is full of them. And after two decades in Sunday school, plus a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready, this is Messy Scripture. Once upon a time in the land of Uz, there was a man named Job. He was a righteous man who served God and feared him. He was rich, he had cattle and horses and donkeys, and he had seven sons and three daughters. He was absolutely stellar, and in fact, not only did he offer sacrifices to God for himself, but he would offer sacrifices on behalf of his children, just in case they hadn't repented recently, or just in case they had done something that he didn't know about that needed repenting. And one day... When all of the sons of God, presumably angels, were going before God, Satan came with them. And God was like, so where have you been? And Satan was like walking around the earth, looking around, trying to find someone to ensnare. And God's like, have you considered my servant Job? He's awesome. He really does the absolute most and satan's like yeah he does the most because you do the most the only reason he loves you and serves you is because you're out here doing the most you give him everything anyone could want he's rich and healthy and has a great family if you would let me strike job i bet he would turn and curse you and god said fine you may strike job's family and you may strike his wealth but you may not touch him not a hair on his head and satan agreed And so a servant one day came running up to Job and said, Job, raiders attacked and all the horses and the oxen have been killed and all your servants that were there. I alone have escaped to tell you. And as the guy was finishing telling Job that he'd lost all his horses and oxen, another servant came up and said, there was fire from heaven and all the sheep have burned up and I'm the only person who escaped to tell you. And another came running up and said, Job, Job, it's terrible. All of the camels have been killed by raiders. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And as these three men were talking and telling Job about all that he'd lost. Another came up and said, Job, all of your children were at a party at the oldest one's house. And the house was blown down in a windstorm. Everyone inside was killed. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And so Job fell down in immense grief, tore his clothes, shaved his head. But he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be God and blessed be his name. And he did not curse God. And so God pointed this out to Satan and was like, did you notice how Job didn't curse me? And Satan's like, yeah, it's because he's still healthy. I bet if you let me strike his health, he wouldn't, he wouldn't like you. I mean, it's one thing to be sad. It's another thing to be miserable. And God's like, okay, you can take his health, but you can't kill him. So Satan went out. And he struck Job with sores that went from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Sores that were so painful and oozing and difficult that he had to sit on a pile of ash because it was the only thing that he could get comfort in. He was devastated and in deep pain. Because as Satan pointed out, people will lose lots of things in their life, but their health, that's hard to give up. And at that point, Job's wife was over it. She's like, "You think that God still cares about you? You think that you're going to get justice from God? I'm out. Goodbye." So Job is sitting in a pile of ashes, scraping himself with a piece of pottery, trying to get these sores to go away. And three of his friends hear about this, and they go to see him—Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar—and they go to confront him. But when they see Job and how miserable he is, they sit down with him in the ashes. And for a week, a week, in silence, the four of them sit, grieving Job's lot in life. This is where the book of Job takes a poetic turn, and so while I'm going to do my best to summarize what happens here, please know that the poetry is actually worth reading, and there's not many ways to summarize poetry, but I'll do my best for you. Job curses the day he was born without cursing God, but basically is like, it would have been better for me if I'd never been born. But now that I'm born, why am I still alive? I wish I'd been stillborn or I wish I'd died right after birth. And Eliphaz points out to Job that, well, innocent people do well. Innocent people don't have things like this to happen to him. You must have done something. Come on, think about it. There's, There's got to be some unrepentant something. What, What's going on? I mean, after all, innocent people do well in this life. And Job counters with, like, no. I'm in the right here. I'm allowed to complain. I'm allowed to say that this sucks. I'm allowed to say that I don't deserve this. Because I don't. And it does suck. There, there's no hope for me. There's no point for me. I, I've lost my family, my health, my my wealth, everything is gone. What do you want me to do? And Bildad's like, I want you to repent. I bet you've done something to insult God and that's why this is happening to you. God is punishing you. You deserve this. And Job's like, you think I deserve this? What, how would, why? How do I deserve this? There's no one to defend me before God And even if there was, I don't need defending. I didn't do anything. Didn't deserve this. And if God had any mercy on me, he would strike me down dead right now. I don't understand why I'm still alive. This is where Zophar pipes up and is like, yeah, but it could be worse. And Job is like, how? Pray tell. God has done this to me. What could be worse than God cursing me? Which is an interesting change of tone. And Job insists that even though God has let this happen, that God has even done this. He's going to trust in God because only God can be just. So whatever's going on, his only hope is in God. Death will come, if nothing else. But until it does, Job will suffer and pray for justice. And Eliphaz is like, you don't even fear God. This whole situation... Definitely happened because you've got some pride issues, honey. And Job is like, you guys suck. You guys are terrible at this. I don't like talking to you. What do you want me to do? Not hope in God? What do you want me to do? Not trust in God? What am I supposed to do? And Build is like, well, God only punishes wicked people. We all know this. Only bad people have bad things happen to them. And Job's like, well, then it's a good thing my Redeemer lives. It's a good thing that God will save me from this. Hopefully, probably, you guys are not great at comforting and I am all alone in this world, but God is still out there and maybe God will show up and save me, but this is awful. And is like, again, the wicked suffer. The wicked suffer problems. So I'm not quite sure what to say here. I don't know what to add. And Job's like, you think only the wicked suffer? Have you ever seen Wall Street, have you ever seen business? Wicked people get great things all the time. Wicked people prosper and nobody really knows why. Maybe they just deserve it. Who knows? But wicked people totally prosper and innocent people die and things are difficult and we don't understand them. Nobody gets it. And if you think that only wicked people suffer and if you think that the wicked are always brought down, you're wrong. Wicked people get away with everything, and I don't know why this is happening to me. And Eliphaz continues the argument that Job is the worst, and Job asks if God is going to show up and maybe do something about this. Like, where is God in this whole situation? As a response to Job is wicked, Job is like, where's my defender? If my redeemer lives, where is he? And now Bildad takes a different approach. He argues with Job that nobody's righteous. So like, of course Job deserves this because everyone is wicked. And Job is like, God is bigger than that. Like, I don't, I'm not convinced. That argument doesn't sit well with me. I'm not certain that you get it. And I am going to hold fast to my integrity. I'm not going to curse God. I'm not going to curse his sovereignty. I'm not going to question whether he's good. But I am going to question why this is happening. I don't get it. I want wisdom, and you guys are not necessarily helping. But I have done right, and I'm going to hold that. I'm going to hold to the fact that I didn't deserve this. I'm going to hold to the fact that I have been righteous my whole life. I'm going to hold to the fact that this whole thing... Seems arbitrary and messed up, and I want an answer for how it happened and why. And now sometime during this long debate between these three friends of Job's, if you've ever heard the phrase Job comforters or Job's comforters, you you understand now why that's an insult. But a fourth friend came along, Elihu, and he's listening and he's getting mad Because Job's friends are blaming Job, and Job is just defending himself, and nobody's really taking into account who God is. These guys don't have an answer for Job's suffering, but Job also doesn't have an answer for Job's suffering, and Job continues to put his righteousness on himself. He continues to say, I've done nothing wrong. And so Elihu pipes up, and he starts off by saying, okay, first off, you three suck, You guys are just the worst. You're terrible at comforting. I am quite a bit younger, and so I wanted to just sit here on my hands. But now that I see that you guys don't know what you're talking about, I'm going to contribute to this conversation. Job, how can you say you're righteous within the earshot of God? How can you insist that God won't answer? How can you think that God hasn't answered? How can you ask God for an answer? Like, these are this is above your pay grade. Your own existence is beyond your own understanding. What are you doing? God is just, and you don't get to decide what justice looks like, because that's not how life works. You may be a good man, but God decides what happens to us, good or bad. If you had sinned, how do you think that actually hurt God? Do you think you can do damage to the Almighty? And if you haven't sinned, And this terrible thing has happened. How can you think that God is unjust? What kind of questions are you even trying to answer? God is bigger than us. And God is bigger than these questions. I don't think we're even on the right track here. And as Elihu speaks so highly of God, as he insists that God is beyond not only what Job can understand, but that God's goodness and greatness is beyond what Job can understand. That God is both perfect and almighty. God himself shows up in a storm. You can almost imagine it. Ashes whirling as this tornado sweeps down and the voice of God comes out. Why are you guys talking? What do you think you're accomplishing here? Were you there when I built the universe and the stars sang with joy. Were you there when I laid the foundations? I mean, you are asking all these big questions, but I should be asking you, right? Because you made the universe, right? Are you able to hold the Leviathan? Are you able to hold the behemoth? Can you just, you know, I'm just gonna pick up this dinosaur, it's fine. You know how dangerous those things can be. And to me, they're fun little cute pets. You're afraid of the storms. I am in the storm. I am far beyond what you can imagine me to be. Do you know when goats give birth? Do you know what makes donkeys move? Do you know what makes the wind go? Do you know the size of the sun, its shape, its place, and how it got there? Maybe perhaps you are asking the wrong questions of the wrong person. Why do you ask me questions that you can't even hear the answers to? And Job promises to remain silent while God answers. And God continues to tell Job what Job doesn't understand. He reminds Job who he is, what he's done, and that he is actually seated in the most highest place. So maybe Job doesn't need to ask these questions the way he's asking them. And Job repents. He admits that he was asking God to explain himself, as though the almighty creator of the universe needs to explain himself to a man, as though God is answerable to his creation. And the answer that Job gets, that God is God and Job is not, that Job has underestimated what being God actually means, that answer is satisfactory to Job. For a lot of people who've read this book, including myself, that answer feels less than satisfactory sometimes, or a lot of the time. But God blesses Job and restores his health, restores his wealth, his wife returns to him, and he has more children, many more children, sons and daughters both. And his daughters were stunningly beautiful, and they too received an inheritance from their father. And Job lived out the rest of his natural life after seeing four generations of his children. And he died, an old man, full of days and happy. It's almost impossible to read this book and not ask questions of it. And I would encourage you, if you feel like this episode has been unsatisfactory, like there's got to be some plot twist, there's got to be something else, to pick up the book of Job and and read through it because a lot of... What this episode went over is, in fact, poetry, and like I said, there's no way to capture that. But I think the key to the book of Job is that the answer is not what God says, it's that God is speaking. There's something in the voice of God, the voice that spoke heaven and earth into existence, the word that was there in the beginning. Something in that voice told Job that everything was going to be all right. Not that everything would be okay or comfortable, but that all rightness would be established. Next episode, we return to the exiles, those who return after King Cyrus's decree, and those who choose to stay behind in Babylon. I'll catch you then.